dedicate this podcast to my late friend, Joseph M. Snow, who died on November 10th, uh, 2021. I invited Smodge Brown back in part because I did want to do a podcast that was dedicated to my good friend. Good day. I'm Samaj Brown, Flint, Michigan's inaugural poet laureate, Academy of American Poets fellow. This poem is entitled Poets' Pentance, Breathing Asphalt, the Remix Black Lung Metaphor. On the edge, dangling sentiment from the ledge, I am not kind. I am not kind. I am exhausted. My back is my face, envisioning the black lungs of West Virginia cold drank. I yell tall to the headline, headless people. You are nothing now. You are no longer a poem. Your waste is written into the creek. Jump into a thousand utterances and become something other than a dead future. I said, jump into a thousand utterances and become something other than a dead future. A leaf obeys, descends into an orange star, into a cluster of disintegrating iridescent thoughts. Am I imagining feeble grace from under a bridge? Wrapped in soullessness, commands rise from the stench of factory sewer dust. Work, 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 bartering bronchial for bread. Work, 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 give your life. Work, work, I choke. Disembodied orphan verse, I will drain you from leaking tributaries and write you as water pure. Write you as orphan verse. You will be my poem tonight, not an obituary, not yet. And I will remain a beggar poet, paying penance with lungs clean as asphalt. That poem was inspired by, and I hope I'm pronouncing her name correctly, Eunice Monroe. She's been doing a lot of work uh, with looking at the research regarding the asphalt plant and one of the things uh, the research was saying, and I just read it from her, her post, is that that particular place where they were planning on putting the asphalt plant has um, already three times, I think it is, or twice the number of asthma persons in the state. So it's mm -hmm. a really dangerous proposition for the health of the people of the community. When I was reading the information about this point, just spawn itself right out of the asphalt. The last time we talked, I had just received the Academy of American Poets Award for Poet Laureates, and that was a wonderful honor, which helped me to launch more of my civic programming for the people of Flint. You've been working with people from throughout the community, and Poetry is Everywhere is the project, and you're taking people from all walks of life. Yes, yes. You, uh, when you, start, when you uh, scroll the internet or when you have conversations with people, sometimes people are quite poetic in their verse, in their diction, in what they're saying. And I ask them, are you a writer? Are you a poet? Sometimes they will admit it and say, yes, I am, but I don't, you know, I don't pursue it. But there are poets everywhere. They're not, they're not professional poets, but there are people who write secretly. They're, and, and when I find them, if, if they're willing to be <laughs> exposed so other people can, can see that this type of literature, underground private uh, thinking and literature 
is going on right here in Flint. So I'm really excited about that. And is there anything endemic with Flint poetry that you've that you've learned about? I haven't detected a smart a style, but what I have detected more than anything is that it's covert. It's here and it's covert. It's underground. It's underground. And it's private. It's very private. I hear uh, verse very readily. I hear tones. And uh, I'm talking to a person I can tell them, I said, do you, do you write poetry? And they become very shy. And they say, well, yeah, but not really. No, no, not really. And then you find out all the and books. They I have re- actual books of poetry, journals. So I think that's interesting. Poets everywhere. So you had all these exciting things happening. And what I think we want to hear is your poetry. I am from the Blood River. I am from the Blood of Fire River, where the strike of friction against rock of flint smokes tongues of resistance, lead burning brains and bodies of the resilient beautiful. I am flint. Midwest bioregion, reconfiguring the world. Meet me, meet me where the water shed into Bay of Being, fed by underground railroad tributaries, escaping the river killers. I travel the coast witness 400 decomposing beached whales. A homeless polar bear traumatized by the color blue staggers by. Am I drizzling in my grandmother's nightmare? Where am I from? I am from the conflagration incinerating the revolving rotisserie globe. They have savaged our bodies and our land. I burn for you, our Brianna. Oh, our Brianna, radiating volcanic social convulsions of African blazes. I am from a regurgitating country trying to grow a conscience in a petri dish, wheezing in the chemical crucible of casual killings. As the tide of plastic rushes the shore, flooding our veins. Where am I from? Hear, hear the eulogy of rainforest choirs, homilies rupturing in the throat of declining orchids. Where am I from? I am from this earth is my body, my lungs, a species, a sacrament, dissimilar to any ever tasted the milk of newer forever more than eternity the breath of. We magma our authority. Lava 
our power, where we, the humble crawlers of light, shout the earth forward. We claim victory in jesting quest for justice as our daily bread, as we magma our authority, lava the reckoning, radiating inherited spiritual convulsions, blazing, scorching, scalding, shouting the earth forward with infrared eyes, an adaptation of the womb, wash in ash, emerge singed, fists like floating planets tied to a standing arm of vertical hope, not knowing if dawn will break us, but declaring, we got this. We gonna be all right. We gonna be all right. From the mountains where crows make revolution, from our mouths of cinder and soot, eviscerating, dismantling, dissolving, diabolic covenants. Where am I from? Biodiversity marching the earth forward, stampedes the earth forward, tramples landmines, shouting monuments down, voting her forward, quaking, making, staking freedom, imagining, imagining our futures forward, freedom, forward. How do you see Flint in the future? Flint is resilient. Flint is resilient. It has lots and lots of historical structural problems. It's really a miracle that everybody hasn't gone mad and gone crazy. Considering what's happened here, I think Flint stones need to give themselves more credit. Every moment of the day, they wake up and breathe and work and strive. I don't think many places could be doing what Flint is doing, having been subject to what Flint has been subject to. So I'm a champion of the people of Flint and they are believers. I believe in the believers. Do you, do you think you've become a Flintstone after all these years? I'm a Flintstone by choice. And what does and that mean? What does that mean to be a Flintstone? Means, uh, it, it means I choose to be in an environment that is Flint. See, it balances, the people balance out the decay. Our, our greatest resource are the people. That's our yeah. human, the human capital that's here. That's the greatest resource we have is the, the people. What do, you, what do you think it's unique about? The resilience. Do, do you see that in the kids that you work with every day? Every day. They're brilliant. Yeah. They're brilliant. All they need is a little. They remind me of, uh, of there are some flowers that only need just a tiny bit of water. We just, we need to, they need to be cultivated. Once they are cultivated, they blossom. There's been so many structural historical barriers to their cultivation. And we know what they all are. But once they're cultivated, I've seen this when I've done work at the Boys and Girls Club. They've done tremendous work. I've, I've done a tremendous work there. 
I've seen it when I've done work anywhere in my husband's practice when we set up literacy corners, we're looking, working with children and staff. If you don't know how to read, watch out if I'm around because I will teach you fast. Good for you. Good for you. If I find out someone is illiterate and they can't read, there's no shame. In it. There's no shame in it. We're going to set up a time where we meet and we're going to learn how to read. And before you know, they'll be writing poetry as well. And Samaj, when yes. I think of Flint, and I, I've lived in Flint for almost all my life till the last little bit, we've always had arts and we've had culture. We have a great uh, center of culture that's been well endowed. But when people look at Flint and other uh, cities in the Midwest that uh, were formerly manufacturing cities, poetry isn't really the first thing that comes to mind. <laughs> no, it's not. Why is that? Why is that? Well, you have to look at the state of Michigan. It's the entire state. Our focus in the state of Michigan has not been uh, for generationally speaking. We haven't had a poet laureate since Guess, and that was in 1958 or 55. My dates, but it's close what I'm saying to you. And other states have had consistent poet laureates. And so we have to look at the thrust of the state. What Michigan um, was concerned with were automobiles for a long time. That was our lifeblood. And so it wasn't, of course, literary arts. And this is not um, Tennessee. Recently, I was describing one of the factories in my neighborhood, my old neighborhood. It dawned on me as I was thinking about my old neighborhood in the south end of Flint that all the streets in my neighborhood are named after the great poets in history. And I was taken back by that. And I thought, is this aspirational why they named this? Is there just a bunch of southern auto migrants that moved in, most of whom probably didn't get past the 10th grade? And all their streets are named after 19th century poets. Mm-hmm. I got to thinking about poetry in my neighborhood, and I, it seemed as if the only poetry I was exposed to outside of what I just told you a little while ago was the poetry of the assembly line and the, and the rhythms and the clanging of the assembly line, which to the General Motors executives was poetry in motion for them. But what can, what can poetry do for the soul of Flint? When you think about poetry, you're thinking about a different way of looking at the world. You put on a different lens. You start to see things. You start to see into things beyond the surface to the essence or the kernel. That's the role of the poem, to get to the essence or the kernel of thing and then magnify it and deliver it in such a way that it has an aha effect. So if we have increased poets, or people who think like poets, we will be less reactionary because we become methodical. We become thinkers. We will ponder. We will become more intellectual. That's part of the whole process. And compassionate. You are less likely to judge people and more likely to consider people. This is the role of the poet. And as for structural problems and societal problems, you start to look at them and not just look at them, and you're not just responding to them. You create a canopy, so you have a topographical view more than I am reactionary. So you want to have a civilization filled with poetry and filled with poet-minded people. It changes discourse, how you speak, what you think about, what you're exposed to. 
poets do research and poets feel. And many poet friends that I know are also mathematical in their science. My background, my undergraduate is biology. It's not all English literature. You find poets in all walks of life because it's more of a, it's a discipline. Poetry in the sense that uh, it can be an outlet for emotions, for thoughts, feelings. In the Flint context, most of that recently uh, has bubbled up with the Flint water crisis. Yes. And so I did a program, the Boys and Girls Club, and so it was called Project Water Us. And in that project, the children were able to express how they felt um, about the water crisis through different art forms. And through looking at the history, we created an exhibit for them to respond to. And one of the most interesting things that when we examined the poem, We Wear the Mask by Paul Lawrence Dunbar, and they were asked, what mask do they wear or do they wear a mask? Overwhelmingly, they said they pretend to be all right for their parents and grandparents because they know their grandparents and their parents are afraid for them. And so basically to alleviate the fear for their parents and grandparents, they put on a mask to be a happy mask so they won't worry anybody. That's what poetry brings that's what poetry does. It yeah, brings out the truth. It's called Almost Majnun. It's about loss. And it's about, I was, I was commissioned to write that years ago for UN Day during um, 9-1-1. There's something called toxic positivity. Maybe you've heard of it lately. What's going on is like if this person is sad, someone will say to you, oh, but you have this and you have a roof of your head, but things are better. And they start giving you all these positive affirmations. But really, sometimes people just want someone to legitimize what has happened and sit with it for a moment in that feeling of sorrow or loss or misery so that you can come out of it. I'm going to be reading for you a poem, almost majnun. Now, majnun is a word that's found in many languages that means mad or crazy. And this is dedicated to those who have lost their children due to war atrocities. It's a commissioned piece written for UN Day, almost majnun. I am almost majnun. Searching for you in the cinders of cement, in the limp of wounded pigeon, rat fowl of urban rot. Have you seen my daughter? Are you pecking her remains? I am lost without her. Her lungs were my lungs, were my throat in my eye. Have you seen my daughter? Are you pecking her remains in hidden asphalt? She disintegrated into the sky burial of trade. And I am almost much noon. Detonated propeller spirals through my cabin. Exhaust roars, raining flesh. Gray human paste covers Manhattan. This putter is my husband. He was renamed the falling man. He has joined the blood river of twisted carcass. And I... I'm almost Majnun. Have you seen my sister? She was tortured by the regime that looks like you, lacerated in the spin of piano wire. 
she is bleeding oil, a lily pad sinking in the Mediterranean. Have you seen him? You did see him, your brother. You swallowed him in the gasp of internet. He is branded to the inside of your eyelids, descending in the blink of horror. He lives in you. He is a tear gland squat, a perpetual spiral down a landscape of eye. The fallen man is falling through the broken smoke of a fireman's net, falling down the chimney of swine and coriander, falling up my nostrils into the mushroom stench of Hiroshima and Nagasaki, falling across consciousness, spinning toward the grinding mouth of denial, falling beneath the chokehold of profiling snipers, falling over hallucinations of them falling, of hallucinations of me falling beyond the debris of ethnic sterilization. I am skinless and blue. Oh, have you seen my daughter? I am lost without her. Her picture hangs my neck like a stethoscope. Her eyes were of Christ, jeweled mocha orbs. I am looking for her in the dust flake of air, in the incidental pauses between words, a morphine drip pats time silent. I am looking for her in the dehydration of African bush, in the diarrhea of Zanzibar, in a vial of cough syrup. She died the death of a sanctioned Iraqi girl. No boundaries in sand dugouts. No penicillin or acacia trees. No united way for a sickled, tarnished penny. She has joined the blood river of twisted carcass. My eyes are a screen to the backdrop of his tumbling tomb. The fallen man. So... That's Flint. I don't see Flint is not in isolation. Flint is the world. Flint is the orange canary for the entire world. So when I think of Flint, I don't think of this little small Midwestern town. Flint is in Africa. Flint is in Asia. Flint is everywhere. The world is Flint. The things that are going on in that poem are going on here in Flint. I mentioned Zanzibar. I, I talked about, uh, and, it's, and so when I teach, I talk, I make sure, I make sure that Flint is not in isolation because it's not. Flint is the world. And so often Flint will eventually show the world what their tomorrows might very well be. Absolutely. So Marsh Brown, thank you for joining me on Radio Free Flint. You are a jewel. You are a treasure for Flint. And if anybody out there uh, would like to see more of her work or get more of her work, she does have a website. Majbrown.com. Please visit her website. She also is hoping to have another book of poetry published here real soon. Oh, that's right. Walking Rivers will be on the Wayne State University Press, hopefully, in 2023. So we look forward to... uh, We look forward to getting that and uh, reading it and uh, hearing more from you in the future about your work with the people of Flint, uh, the children of Flint. Who knows? Maybe we have a poet in the audience. That's right, because poets are everywhere. (laughs) Thank you very much. Thank you so much. 
They say they'll fix it if we only stay calm. Go back to your factories, go back to your homes. Don't get excited, don't you lose your cool. And those bosses will share their power with you. Take the children and run. Take the children and run. Most politicians lying through their teeth say there's nothing to fear except fear itself. And none of them can tell us if and when it will stop. And they may come and visit, but they won't drink a drop. Take the children and run.